everybody welcome to the 352nd edition of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin here in rip city and i got my man sage uh just got back from a family reunion in uh rhode island and massachusetts so really missing the uh the uh new england food and it's 11 p.m for me right now so i'm extra tired so i'm sure there's you're Dude, still I, not back on West Coast time yet? I got back Tuesday. So Thursday, I, I, Thursday dog. That, I'm not used to this shit. I was <laughs> I was I was chilling in New England for a while, bro. So you know, I, I woke up at like 9:30 after I had breakfast. Like, fuck, it is lunch time for your boy. I got a text from you on like Saturday. You're like, I am so ready to go home. Everyone's leaving except for me, and I'm not coming in until Monday night. And I'm just like, ugh. Yeah, that, those family vacations—they're fun, but they can be—they can be lengthy. Um, and yeah, you definitely um, are gonna have those cravings, the New England cravings, for for quite a bit of time. Anytime you go traveling and eat that cuisine, it's just like it, your body is just like, where is it at? I, I need it. Um, I want it. And um, you also sent me pictures of the bathroom situation, which <laughs> I didn't—I didn't envy. And in true holy backboard fashion, I made sure I went to the bathroom before recording oh i surely didn't but yeah so um so we rented a house that was made in like 1907 so the bathrooms aren't made for guys that are like six foot and heavy so like the ceiling was five seven so i couldn't even like use it so it was kind of just like an excuse to get kind of drunk and piss in the yard because <laughs> i you kind of feel like you, you probably felt like wimby right yeah. so tall yeah. you have to duck everywhere no damn these night these these new englanders in the 1900s are too small i have to i have to i have to go somewhere else it was it was 10 leaves for one and a half bathrooms so it was a very very uh weird experience having to like take a shower get out and then i see my entire family it was it was it was it was different but we actually have a guest so we, we we probably shouldn't be talking about the bathroom situation. But I feel like that's just on brand. Like we always have our two to three minute initial off topic just to kind of warm up the vocals, get everything going. But yes, we do. Uh, we have Sam uh, at Rip Village on Twitter, also host of the Lickety Brindle podcast. Sam, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on. This is a, a total a trip for me. I've been listening to y'all for a long time. Uh, I was telling Sage a moment ago, y'all are really early on your on your your positions um, and and correct often. Um, and just you know, you have your your take is usually on point, and I love all your dra- your draft analysis is just um, it's a soothing balm for the spring as as the team starts to tear it down. So. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Of Thank course, you for really, listening to our draft content. Like, we really the appreciate best. that. Yeah. And, so and I gotta say, work. the extra work that you do for the uh, the mock draft is also fun, including the trades. Those are great. We ruin our lives for those <laughs> mock drafts. It, it it legitimately is so much more work than just talking about the games that happened a week ago that we 
sort of remember. Like well, the, the draft stuff's a Sage, lot. Of I, Sage, I watched my first like draft prep for 2024, and this is the earliest I've ever like. It's August. The previous, what am I doing? I usually don't get into like draft content until like December or January, and uh, it's way too early to be thinking about uh, G League Ignite people. When the G League Ignite come to the trial center to play the remix. We got to go. Big day. Big day. There's probably like four top 10 prospects there. I am with you. I have been looking. Uh, Adam Spinarella is great on YouTube. Spins, uh, yeah. Yeah. He does great breakdowns. I've already got some of my favorites for the 2024 class. Um, Portland's in a really good spot where they can now look to pick for best player available, but now they can kind of just like, oh, what what wings can we grab? What big man can we grab? So it's it's a good position to be in. It's a fun position to be in. Um, some of my favorite memories are of the early B-Roy years, paying a $300 or not three, get sitting in 300 level, uh, <laughs> you know, sneaking your way down to the 100 level because the arena was was bare and just watching that team really grow organically. Um, so before we get into kind of like our yeah. summer Q&A, something we like to do for our listeners when we have a guest on is kind of introduce yourself to our audience, um, maybe how long you've been a fan, some of your favorite memories, and maybe what were some of your favorite players uh, either growing up or or currently? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I've been watching it. My, my dad, uh, had a construction company and they had tickets available growing. I'm from Portland originally. Um, and went to a ton of games, um, growing up. So I got to see Drexler and Kersey and really came of age with the Rod Strickland's like Harvey Grant, uh, Sabonis, like that whole era was like when I cut my teeth as a fan. And so of course, like when, when Witsit came in and just started buying players and, and putting it all together with that like massive Kelvin Cato, Scotty Pippen trade, that was when it was like, oh snap, we have like Steve Smith now. Like this is getting proper. Like this is like this team's gonna make a run. Um, and so yeah, like Rashid Wallace, like all those guys are like like hollowed ground to me. Um, and then I, you know, transitionally, when I became a little bit older in my fandom, um, same thing, like that Brandon Roy. It was just like he was he was the first like really solid player we had after the Steve Patterson era. And that was so refreshing to have somebody that represented the Northwest like so fully as a UW dude. Um, Seeing him in Aldridge. I mean, that draft day trade of like getting Aldridge, getting Roy also. Um, And that was cool for me. I'm a little bit older, but I, uh, I was able to go to the summer league where Aldridge and Roy were rookies. And so my dad and I went down there. And saw Joel Freeland and Martel Webster. And um, that was like a stacked, that was a stacked team. Um, and so I, after that, I was like all in on that next era. And I think like one of my favorite, I mean, you guys would probably agree, but one of my favorite teams was the, it was like the Channing Fry, Sergio, Rudy Fernandez. The 54 win team? Uh, yeah, I don't know if it was the 54 win team, but was it was it, the year it was with Sergio. Was they were bad, I think. It might have been the the off year for Odin when he was hurt. Oh seven, oh eight, yeah, yeah. Brandon, the, the thing I remember streak. is going online. This was like when YouTube was still in its infancy and watching clips of um, Sergio's um, like his per 48 like assists ratio is like number one in the league, and he'd come in for like eight minutes in the fourth quarter and just 
He'd have like seven or eight assists in like 10 minutes. So Sergio and Rudy, like those are my guys like of that era. Um, and it just bums me out whenever we see these FIBA games, seeing Rudy and Sergio continue to play. It like breaks my heart a little bit because I kind of wonder like, is there a is there another sliders universe where Sergio and Rudy are like legit, like full-time NBA players? You never really know, but um I don't know. It was kind of a bummer with Sergio because like he never really developed that jump shot that he needed to attack in, you know, an offense in the way that he needed to. And so it'll be fun watching him. I think he's on the Spain team uh next month. So or this month, I guess. Uh so that'll be fun. So yeah, Sergio and Rudy are kind of my 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 fellows. I, I love those guys. Nice. I um had season tickets. That was the first year I had season tickets. It was 07. Awesome. I actually was deciding between going to the University of Oregon or Portland State, and we had drafted uh Craig Coden, got the lottery. I was like, well, amazing. I, I need to get season tickets. Like I yeah. am stoked. Um, it made sense it, other reasons, but I do like to say that that played a large role uh in it. And I I, I can't complain. Um, that 13 game win streak was magical. Um, Sergio also threw a couple of uh fantastic lobs to Travis Outlaw. That was my guy. Travis, on, that's right. On that team. So yeah, really fond memories. And I'm I'm kind of getting that sense that they're trying to build something similar right now. So uh Sage, you've been out for a couple of weeks. It's it's been a minute since we've had a guest on this podcast. And there's like a full year. Yeah, it's there's been, you know, obviously with, with our, our work schedules, it's a lot harder to get on a consistent recording time. It's mostly like, hey, Sage, can you record today at 1115? Sure. Uh, that's in the morning <laughs> sometimes. Um, you know, it's it's been a minute, but there's been a lot going on. And there's a lot of questions that uh, about topics that I don't really think are being answered or asked in the community. There's, you know, what you're getting from the ESPN first takes and some other blazer um, outlets. I think it's getting a little um, crowded, noisy. It's, it's just the same conversation. So I wanted to kind of switch gears um, and, and I've got about seven questions and I'll, I'll answer them too, but I wanted to tee them up to both of y'all first. Um, the first question, how open are the both of you to Damian Lillard being on this roster as training camp opens it's been almost a month since he put out that trade request um and it doesn't seem like there's really any end in sight at the, at the, at the current moment so the likelihood of him being on the roster come training camp is a little bit higher and i wanted to get your take on how 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 do you feel about that <laughs> given everything that aaron goodwin has really done to i think tarnish his reputation a little bit all you Sam, I've I got to think about this. Okay. I did not well, read any of his uh, questions. <laughs> yeah, I'm split on it. It's kind of a left brain, right brain thing. Um, so the way I would answer this is that fans fan bases often have to take on the personality of the GM and the front office of the team. So with with Daryl Morey, it's all about like this posture that you have. It's about like sitting in the discomfort of a long term negotiation if your players asking out. And I think Cronin, it's funny that Harden's asking out too, because there's these like two parallel trades going on at the same time. But Cronin's basically asking the fan base to be negotiators with him. Uh, but that's really uncomfortable. And as a fan, it's like not a natural state to be in. You want certainty. You want like, I love like building like rotations in my head, like when I'm like doing my thing. Um, so to answer your question, on one hand, I want resolution. But on the other hand, um, I want 
I want Cronin to like wait as long as possible. Um, and so from that perspective, from that other part of my brain, I'm like, you know, Dame, Dame can come to camp if he wants. Um, we need to wait out the heat. Um, but that's because that's their real only leverage here. Like it seems like Riley and Ellsberg want to get the cheapo, like Kyle Rowley, right? Uh, Kyle Lowry price for Dame. And as we know, Dame is like a much higher team. He'd be like the number one player on their team potentially. So, um, and I, I, on the other side of it again, though, like I want the marketing department to be able to like put Scoot on the side of the Rose Garden and <laughs> sell and sell this new era, just like he did with with Roy and Aldridge and Odin. Um, how do you bring Dame into camp and have like this marketing package be all about like Scoot? and the kids. Um, but I also realize if, if Cronin waits, um, another deal uh, might actually pop up that's better for the, the long-term franchise like success. So it's really t- This is a really tense time for Blazers fans. Um, it definitely will test your, your patience. And I would say like prior to the trade demand, I was like, thought it would be awesome. A wonderful experience for Scoot to learn under Dame's tutelage. Um, but my tune has changed a little bit after after that that trade request, trade demand, so so to speak, for a few reasons. I think if the, the, one of the benefits, right, people talk about the mentorship aspect, and I do agree the Blazers need to bring in some form of a veteran point guard, similar to uh, Steve Blake was with Brandon Roy, uh, Damian Lillard had Earl Watson and Ronnie Price, but. When you look at a, a mentor, Scoot's already getting that from, it may not feel great to say for, for Blazer fans, but Steph Curry. Steph Curry stepped in and took that role. He's already working out with Steph, probably talking back and forth with him. So he does have that uh, mentorship already kind of under. And, and under, Pooh. Yeah, and Pooh yeah. Jeter from, from the G League uh, Ignite, who is now, I think, operations over at, at the Remix. Um, like, is is being around like a melancholy Damian Lillard the best start to to Scoot's tenure here in Portland? I, I tend to lean no. Um, then you look at the aspect like he's played two years, Scoot Henderson in the G League at night, professional basketball, and then you see how he conducts himself on interviews on the sideline. You 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 see how he performs on summer league. Like he's ready. You you saw it with Brandon. You saw it with Damian. Th- this guy is ready, and we didn't hold Brandon or Damian back. We gave them the keys. Yeah, yes, I know they were twenty two years old when they entered uh, the the association. Scoot's just that dude. That's why I was so high on him. I think he's transcended. I, I think at nineteen, he's he's ready to have the keys, and I think it'd be the best if we could give him let him take that lead as soon as possible because if you know you're talking about if dame's there like are you starting what do you do with amfernee now like do you trade him or do you do start him are you bringing scoot off the bench like i don't think that's really the the move for this franchise that really risked it all to to select uh henderson and then there's a couple of other i think maybe paranoia points of view that, that i've um taken is what if portland has another fool's gold start right last year they went 10 and 4 and we were all pretty pretty hyped um, do they try to make a couple of win now moves to sacrifice some, some future assets? Um, what I mean, we saw the ramifications of what happened in 2016 with the Blazers, they beat the Clippers. They had a competitive series against the Warriors, and then they just tied themselves up into bad money over for four players for the next four seasons. 
We also saw it happen with the Phoenix Suns in 2014 with that that Goran Dragic, um, Morris brother twin. Uh, they accelerated their timeline and it kind of all blew up. And now it took them like seven additional years to get back to the to the, to the finals. Atlanta um, now. Atlanta now exactly. So you've got some teams like you. Portland needs to really look at that OKC. That 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 is the, that is the the blueprint in, in my mind, and just take it slow, and just the threading of the two timelines. I think is next to impossible, unless you're already starting at a championship level foundation with the Spurs. The Spurs did it when they had the big three, and then the, the Kawhi falls into their laps on that draft day trade with, with George Hill. You know, the Warriors, they weren't even able to pull it off because they drafted poorly. And now you saw them salary dump Jordan Poole just to kind of get off of that two timelines. And they've been still trying to trade some of their young players to, to win now. And, you know, we saw Portland um, already make kind of one win now move and they, they traded for Jeremy Grant. But now that Dame's requested out, now you're locked into five years of Jeremy Grant. And that pick, which was the Bucks 2025 first, uh, Detroit flipped it to New York. They took Jalen Duran. Like, I don't know about you, but we have Yusuf Nurkic and nobody else that is over 6'9". Jalen Duran would look damn fine in the black and red right now. But because we tried to thread two timelines, we now have a player who is solid in Jeremy Grant, but he's has a big contract and doesn't really fit what the Joe Cronin is trying to do with Scoot and Shaden. So all things considered, like, I understand the um, wanting to be patient. I just, I, I don't like at what, what cost? I think there has to be like a kind of like you put the jelly beans on each, each way scale. Like what, what's going to outweigh the other? Because do you, is it worth scraping out an extra first round pick or an extra swap? Is, is it, is it worth, like, is it worth it? Because like you said, the marketing plays a huge deal in this too. Like yeah. it's already a bummer at, you know, somebody who's worked on the marketing side with the Blazers. Yeah. Like, what would it, you it, do it, in this situation, Dustin? You are already seeing them remove Damien. From- I mean, the fact when they when they were in the meeting, like talking, like having their chat. And I think somebody literally on social at during that moment saw like captured the Moda Center, like Dame Lillard. Yeah, I do. I do believe that was down. scheduled. Like, oh, I really? Do, I do. Yeah, that was okay, scheduled. fair but enough. They- but that was just like an uncanny moment. Yeah. Even I mean, at, from a perception point of view, that was like crazy. Exactly. The optics weren't great, but like you've seen the the marketing has already changed a bit like if you on instagram you see the ads like now you're seeing they're going heavy on scoot especially rip city clothing company they're trying to sell those jerseys you're seeing chris murray you're seeing anfernee now jeremy once jeremy resigned he started to peer back on on all of the communications but he wasn't prior because he wasn't unrestricted free agent but Mm -hmm. you know dame's kind of been like i said dame's been gone off of the materials do they start pushing him back like i think just in general the Blazers and Dame need just a break from each other. Like it just, it needs to happen. Cause if it doesn't, I feel like it's going to be like one of those, Oh, let's get back together one more time. Just for, well, for, for, for good time's sake. Dustin, you, know you I mean? Dustin you used to work there. Like when, what are they doing in August? Are they, are they, is this like marketing planning meetings and, and getting that, like, are they going to have to just wait to, to like package all that stuff up? I'm sure they've already kind of thought about, you know, putting scoot on the side of the moda or or whatever getting sharp yeah, out you're, there you're looking but... at you're looking at billboards radio hits right you know, starting to put your graphics together for for social you're having your broadcasting meetings like what stories are you going to run i mean they're they just wrapped up the trail 
that documentary which was that was my that was the only episode i watched was the last one because i just could that 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 doc it was really hard for me to watch because it just felt like this dead man walking type of thing but the eighth episode was like fantastic so fun to see everybody like like, you have to plan like what what are you going to do content wise like people think like oh the off season you just get no you don't get a break like they're so so (laughs) dustin dustin how vertically integrated is it because Amid this negotiation, we really haven't gotten much at all out of the team because they're trying to. But but what we are reading into are these the season ticket holder emails that are like, we're building I, around Dame at the draft. You know, when I people, saw that, it was just like if if people only knew like their, their goal is to sell tickets. Right. Dame yeah. Lillard is technically on the roster. What is going to sell the most tickets saying that we're going to build around Dame? You're going to put Dame front and center on that email. And of course, they were excited. They got the third overall pick. But Dwayne right? Hankins is like talking to Joe. Right. And then he's like, I don't know. It just makes me wonder, like, how. Yeah. What for, are they? Ta- sure. I wonder if these the marketing folks kind of know where they're headed already. Like. Do you think they know? Do you think the marketing department knows if Dame's in or out? Okay. Dustin knew that they were trying to trade Myers for Ryan Anderson, and it really (laughs) broke my heart. No, I I just, that was a long story, but I definitely pulled your chain on that one. Um, My next question, does a non-trade, or does a non-heat trade partner exist for the Blazers and Damian Lillard? I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I, I mean, not right now, at least. I think the Blazers will end up dealing Dame before training camp. That's honestly when I think it'll happen. I think I think people will start to trickle back into the practice facility in September. Um, and I think I actually don't think the max Miami offer is that bad. I think there's been people who are like, oh, my God, it'd be like fireable offense. But I think there's a huge gap in between what's being reported and what what is being discussed by fans? I think fans are discussing this max package, but the one, the Woj one, the the two, I think it's Harrow, and uh, and two or one swap and like two picks and and Duncan Robinson. That one is like you really have if that's really what Riley is is starting with. I I I kind of agree with Cronin to just like not engage because What's I do the think- Godfather offer. For uh, Miami, I mean, it's it's got to be. You have to first. Miami has to unlock that twenty six pick. They have to go to OKC and they they yeah. have to say we're just going to make it unprotected. OKC obviously is going to say yeah, that's 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 chill. Let's do that. So then you're able to unlock their twenty twenty four pick. You get their twenty twenty eight. You get their twenty thirty, all unprotected. I think you try to f- uh, finagle pick swaps in twenty seven and twenty nine. Uh, I think you definitely go after Hawkes and Jovic. They're two uh, previous first round draft picks. They it's on Miami to find a suitor for Tyler Hero and send another pick Portland's way. So you're really and and salary. Hopefully you're able to shed some money off of of Dame, whether that's in the form of of Lowry or Caleb Martin or um, Duncan Robinson. Like however that is is managed. But in the end, you're really looking at four picks, two swaps, and two former first round picks. I mean, you off, y'all are the draft people. Dame's. Like like is Hawkes and and Jovic. We, uh, I, we we, we disagree. Is it plug your nose and, and take those two guys? Because my theory on these trades is you need one guy that is kind of the embodiment of the star that's leaving, and that's Kessler, that's uh, that's Markinen, that's you know like somebody who's just kind of the the net. And I just I've I've watched a lot of Jovic tape. I've watched some 
Hawkeye's tape. And those guys just, I can't get there yet. Um, oh, no, so I don't, I don't think what you guys Miami think. has You're on what, Portland. No, Jovic is a nice ISO guy. And Dustin and I disagree fully on uh, the UCLA Hawkins guy. would be a fan favorite day one, guaranteed. And, and really, I, I, I think that he is not athletic enough. And his offense and defense aren't good enough to be. I just don't. What are their elite skills in the NBA? Like Schmidt said that Schmidt said that like six months ago. He's like, you want one elite skill. That's what you're looking for with a draft guy. Hawkins is smart. That that just seems like such that line, though. It's like, oh, he's such a hard worker. Like, yeah, they're treating him like he's a white player. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) So the the thing is, is I I really did a, a deep dive on on this on this question because you know initially i was like portland has all the leverage right dame's under contract uh they can just hold him out right but at at the end of it it does take two to tango and if no other non-heat team steps to the table then leverage kind of swings into the miami Mm -hmm. camp i don't think it'll ever fully swing into their camp because portland wants to suck next year you know they want to continue to build through the lottery miami is a championship contender they just made it to the finals they have to go all in so in in a way the the leverage is going to keep swinging back and forth but it to me it just feels like portland's a day late and a dollar short when it comes to this this trade of damian lillard um it's the equivalent of of the blazers jumping in the ice bucket challenge for the als like a year later after everyone else already did it like when you look back and i you look back at least four years i think that's when all of these mega trades started to happen there was a number of NBA all-stars that were moved for these just war chest of draft capital. And it did two things. One, it dried up the assets for the teams acquiring the top talent. And then it led to an uneven distribution of the future first round draft picks. I mean, you look. Okay. See in New Orleans. AD goes to uh, uh, the Lakers. Drew Holiday goes to the Bucks. Paul George to the Clippers. Westbrook to Houston. Harden to Brooklyn. And then Harden to Philly. DeJounte Murray to Atlanta. Gobert to Minnesota, Donovan to Cleveland, Kevin Durant to Phoenix. So you remove those nine teams with depleted draft assets. That's nine. Uh, That was Atlanta, Cleveland, Houston, both LA teams, Milwaukee, Minnesota, Philadelphia, and Phoenix. Okay, so then you start to do process of elimination. Then you have to remove the teams that are in rebuild mode or quote-unquote young contention. So I, I established teams like the Pelicans, Oklahoma City, San Antonio, and in Utah, there's four more teams off the board. And there's also just a lot of great fucking point guards in the league. The teams aren't going to move mountains to get an upgrade on when they already feel comfortable with who they have. And there's 10 squads. You've got LaMelo Ball in Charlotte, Darius Garland in Cleveland, Luca and Kyrie in Dallas, Cade in Denver, Jamal Murray in, uh, or excuse me, Cade in Detroit, Jamal Murray in Denver, Steph, CP3 in Golden State, Halliburton in Indiana, John Morant in Minnesota or Memphis. Jalen Brunson in New York, and then you've got De'Aaron Fox in Sacramento. And then there's three teams where it just doesn't make sense. Jalen Brown signed that extension. That took that piece off the board. Boston's gone. You're not going to send him to Orlando, and you're not going to send him to Washington. So now you're left with three teams, Brooklyn, Toronto, and Miami. And I'll put an asterisk on Utah just because they were a team that double dipped in the war chest, and they had just have an, just a, an excess of picks to yeah, use. Yeah, they can and- just... That they can overpay for him. And, and I think fine. Danny Ainge would love just to rub it in Pat Riley's nose a little bit. Um, so that's that's a that's an asterisk team. But really, you're looking at Brooklyn, 
Miami and Toronto. And if Toronto and Brooklyn don't step up to the table, you're left. There's only one person left to dance Mm -hmm. with. So then you have, I mean, it's really going to. So that's why I'm just like, I I don't, I don't love the Miami offer, but like, if you're getting picks, if you're getting, you know, guys on rookie scale contracts, if you're getting out of Dame's deal, like, let's be real. That extension was gnarly, like getting paid 60 plus million at 35, 36. Um, that's going to be, that's going to be tough. And I really like the idea of Portland being able to kind of be flexible with, with their books. So, yeah, I mean, that's my free. Sorry, go ahead, Sage. So with the Miami one, like what is the most desirable asset for, for you? Is it just getting rid of Dame? Is it getting, no, it's, it's the, it's the 28 and, and 30 unprotected picks. And I know the the argument is Miami's rarely been bad. And I get that Pat Riley usually builds a contender, but Pat Riley is like nearing his eighties. You've also got Jimmy Butler nearing his mid thirties. Dame's going to be gone by then. Jimmy might've be retired and you're left with like, bam, (laughs) and all of their draft capital would be wiped out. I don't see in in five years. I don't see the Miami heat as, as a contender, especially when as uh, people like uh, Woj have been saying, there is no more unrestricted free agency for these mega stars. They are signing in to these mega deals. They can get their max money with the current team, and then they're asking out. It's the mm-hmm. NBA's version of the transfer portal. So I, Miami used to be a hotbed for free agency. Obviously, they got the big three in 2010. So I don't know if free agency is going to be able to bail out that franchise again. So those picks having – so if you think about it, you're getting those picks five and seven years down the line. They're, they're Scoot, valuable. Scoot and Shaden are 24 and 26. I mean, that's like what the Lakers used to do in the 80s when they would just like – make these future trades and you've got championship contending teams like, Oh yeah, we're just going to pick up James worthy in this draft. Cause we got this pick yeah. from you know, three years ago. Like you got to start thinking ahead. And I know people say, oh, I don't want to wait that long. Well, why not? Like we're not trying to win right now. Like the goal is to be good in five to seven years. Like you take, take time. Like it's a gradual increase, but, but take our time. And if you have those either draft a player on a, again, a rookie scale contract, or then you start to have these assets where you can go out and get that next you can you know, superstar yeah. and you can really go for the, the chip. So like set yourselves up to succeed, which Portland didn't do with Dame, but the opportunity is right there for them to do it with, with Scoot and Shaden. And just think about it. Dame's going to be on his big boy contract. Bam's going to get his third uh, contract. Jimmy's trying to get his money. Like how are they going to even replenish the stars that are getting old everybody's going to be on long-term permanent ass deals that are, is going to be impossible to trade and when they get dame they're not going to have any first to you know sweeten the pot of take this old superstar so i i think those late picks were are going to be extraordinarily valuable i i honestly like i would love to have kyle lowry be the mentor for scoot henderson for a year i i mean He's been there, done that. I mean, he, he's been every part of the NBA, an angry point guard, a championship, uh, a champion, a contender. Like, I wouldn't mind having him be that mentor. I know it's a lot of money, but who else on this team has a long-term contract outside of Jeremy Grant and Nasir, who is entirely tradable? So, I mean... <laughs> Yeah, and the, I think the cap floor has kind of changed this rebuild idea too. Like it used to be that you could get, I mean, I think San Antonio was like $30 million below the cap floor last year or something like that. So it'll be interesting to see how these teams 
like get up to that floor level so that they can still be useful partners, way stations for other teams. And Presti, I mean, Presti's like trade and picks out as far as he can to keep that war chest alive. I think he has four 2024 picks next year. Like how the heck, like if you're Presti, he's going to be trying to sell those. You know, he doesn't need four new players. There's 21 guys on the roster right now. Yeah. So, um, I mean, They're going to need Uzman. to cut players now. I want Usman. I want Usman Garuba. I was thinking either him or take a flyer on Ty Ty Washington. Like both yeah. on, on their rookie contract. I want to take like, a chance on Poku. It's, there's, they're, they're going to have to cut someone good. I listened to a podcast with Sam uh, Sam Vecini and uh, one of the Thunder beat writers, I think, for the Athletic. And like, yeah, they were just going down their depth chart. And it, it's crazy about what decisions they're going to have to make. And there, there is a danger of having too much of a good thing. But mm. put me in that camp. I, I would love to be in their shoes. I mean, like I said, the blueprint is there for the Blazers. Um, real quick before the next question. Brooklyn, I Brooklyn or, or Toronto have have anything that that either of you would be more intrigued by? I mean, I was even thinking about the the Grady Dick uh, construction um, I saw yesterday. I think, um, and that's basically like Boucher and um, and Grady Dick and a couple other pieces. Um, I don't love the OG Ananobi thing. That's like way too high of a risk profile. Like he might just walk. Next year, uh, obviously, you'd love to have Scotty Barnes, but it's, you're it's probably Scotty Barnes bus for me, baby. Yeah, oh, I don't. I, I, I just think... don't see. We've been in negotiations with Masai for the last two years, and oh, that guy's for, not for dealing sure. anybody. I, so, at least, at least in this time, I think we're in a position of power, right? The Toronto Raptors are one of those teams that are just like kind of like didn't complete in decision mode. They don't know which direction they want to go. But you know, in the East, having Dame Gary Trent. OG Pascal Jakob Pertle yeah. that that's I could see that team doing a Miami Heat type of run like that would be the Kawhi trade like all over again you know exactly like yeah the, the foundation is there it makes more sense to do that than trying to you know rebuild when Pascal won't commit to uh, an extension so he's basically untradeable the this the season and then OG clearly has his health concerns brooklyn has some picks but like they also gave up a ton of picks mm-hmm. to get things hardened so they're a little bit different i know nick claxton is the the soup du jour for some blazer fans Why? but I, I i i don't think he's as impressive as a prospect or a player as to me as scotty barnes would so efs if, if, time there is a reason that you target against brooklyn net centers when you are playing DFS. They're the worst at post defense and rebounding. So your opposing center is going to get like six extra points and four extra rebounds. I don't want to deal with Nick Claxton on our team getting bullied by fucking name a center on our team. And at least you some Nurkic can put on some fucking uh, like he can at least stop some people. Nick Claxton's trash at rebounding and defense. Like, nah, I'm good. But speaking speaking of Yusuf Nurkic, great transition into my next question, Sage, and I'll let you have first uh, dibs of this. Does Yusuf Nurkic need to go out go out in any trade involving Damian Lillard? It's going to be very difficult for a, a, a team to forty five million dollars for Dame, twenty plus for Nurk. That's a lot of salary going 17 out. Seventeen for Nurk, I believe. seventeen. 
So 45 plus 17, that's a lot of money that we have. You didn't want to do math live on air. Fuck no, bro. (laughs) (laughs) I did. I did 150 FanDuel lineups, bro. I'm done with math for the day. But I, I think that it will be difficult for it has to be like a three or four team trade for Dame and for Yusuf to go. So in it would be very nice for Yusuf to go. I think that he's done here. I, I mean, Chauncey Billups and his relationship has to be trashed because of how disrespectful I feel like he's been treated by the coaching staff. So I think it would be wise for us to happen. But because of the salary that's being shelled out, I think it's going to be really difficult. And like the the trade that, you know, it gets rumored, you know, a day before the actual trade comes out is going to be so much more complex than what is first rumored. So I think it would be nice. I just don't know how likely it will be with just the the shitload of salary that's coming out of Portland. Like teams have to have space for it. So, I mean, it's a very narrow, like this, this has the only way it works. So it would be nice, but I, I just don't know how likely it is. Yeah, and I just in a in a very complex negotiation with Pat Riley and Ellsberg, I do not want Nurk to be the reason that we're getting back like less stuff. Like I, quid pro quo. Like if we put Nurkic on the table, are they saying, okay, well, you can't have this other thing? Is um, he? Do you think he's neutral, positive, or negative trade value? Do you think he's? I think right he's, now he's a negative trade value just because of significantly the, the or or. Not significant, but I, I I think you would if right now Portland wanted to, it needed to get off that deal they would have to attach a first round yeah. pick to it three years left no yeah there's... I just I I don't see a huge urgency to just from that negotiation standpoint and then also like I want to give Scoot Henderson like an awesome pick and roll partner year one um because Nurk's really good at setting screens mm-hmm. and and Scoot's like a pretty unselfish player. And likes to feed other players. Like you could just see that at summer league. Like holy Division's cow, amazing. we're having a real. We have a real. Sorry, Dave, but we have a real point guard that's like distributing the ball. Like that is that's really exciting to me. So I don't see why we can't have Nurk in the rotation. And in a not in a rebuild context, we're probably not pushing him as hard as we are when we're trying to win. I j- I would just love to see Cronin please like one balanced like roster where we actually have some center depth so that we can sit Nurk. Um, Do you think he not... puts up big numbers if he's on the Blazers with Scoot and all of these young dudes? Do you think that because of just how young and like he's going to ball dominant in the minutes that he plays? Do you I think mean, that... small, small sample size theater, but like I, I still remember when, when it was him and Ant after mm-hmm. uh, Dame got shut down the first uh, tank year. And I mean, Nurk looked like a completely different player because I mean, I think it was that away Memphis game, and it was like Ant and and Nurk running pick and roll all game, and like you know when Nurk gets fed, there's He's a little extra, yeah, yeah, there's a little extra pop in his step. So, um, can I can I pivot really quick? Are you have you guys been following this Eddie Tavares rumor at all? Um, it, I don't know how he- if you. He's the like Real Madrid bit, yeah. guy. Um, and obviously there's a buyout issue potentially with him, but like defensive big man, top like defensive player. He's like 31 in Europe. So I'm not sure if that really helps the rebuild timeline, but I just don't mind having a defensive like front court to protect 
our our guards um, if that's going to be how we rebuild. So I was just curious if you guys have been following that at all. Yeah, um, I, I do think everything's hinging on the Lillard trade in terms of rounding out the rest of the roster. And initially I thought like, yeah, we got to get rid of Nurk. Like the contract's bad. Um, if you're taking Dame, you got to take uh, his buddy as well. But I never liked the idea of selling low. And the books are relatively clean, especially if you move Damian Lillard. And it's not like Portland's like a free agent destination. So you don't have to worry too much about urgency in terms of attracting free agents or, or creating cap room in that in that uh, situation. Mm-hmm. But I, to your point, I had this in my notes. I, I love the idea of Nurk being there for Scoot just as a absolute dump truck. You know, just he's going to set the screens. He's going to run to the rim. He's going to pave the way. He's going to make a snowplow, like beep, beep, get out the way. And he could be like his enforcer. Like you need a big guy, a vet who's been around the block a bit. And to your point, Sage, I think he does need to be used more. And I think he would in these lineups with with Henderson. And I love the idea of giving him the ball and letting him make decisions. Scoot is an absolute gem off ball. We know Shaden's a monster off ball. Like just those cuts that could open up the floor with with Jeremy, you know, spreading it out on on the wing. I think and Ant as well. Like there are a lot of different options for this coaching staff to get uh, creative. Like I think Portland has the time right now to be patient and build Nurk's value back up, mm-hmm. uh, trim a year or two off his contract in the process, and then you can move him when it, it makes a little bit more sense. So they have, basically, just, just be patient. They can get something for him down the line. You don't have to get something for him uh, right now. He's probably our second best decision maker, right? Scoot's number one, and he's two. I don't yeah. trust Jeremy Grant to set anybody else up, and Ant's vision's pretty bad. So Yusuf yeah. right now is our second best playmaker. So okay. in the time that he's in, utilize the fact that he has vision. Of course, he tries to, you know, make passes that aren't really there, but at least he sees that something could happen when he has the ball in his hands instead of like Ant who dribble, 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 and then tries to utilize a pick and shoot. I I, I like that at least we'll have another active passer. So the next question I have for the both of you. Assuming Damien is gone, who who's the man? Like who who is the whose team is it? Who's who's stepping up in the locker room to to call out uh you know sloppy play or to take responsibility to to hold the rest of the guys accountable? Who's gonna galvanize the squad? Like it can't be the head coach, like it has to come from a player. So Dame's gone. Who's the man in, in your opinion? Scoot and Jeremy Grant, probably. I mean, I mean, Scoot's just so involved in the games that I think that his style of leadership, like he's going to be a leader of men day one. And then Jeremy Grant's getting paid the most on the team. And I think he's the one vet that, I mean, Nurk may or may not be there. He's the one vet that's actually been successful in the league. These young guys are at least going to listen to, hey, I I was a gadget guy and now i'm somebody that has 25 percent usage and can lead a team to some victories like i i think jeremy grant's at least going to be good for uh chris murray and all these wings so uh, but i i think scoot just because of who he is is number one yeah i agree with you sage i, I think it's scoot's team for sure um this team's been full of guys made in dame's image for so long even when cj was here we haven't really had, I mean, Dame was like that quiet leader, lead by example, 
we haven't had like a raw i was trying to think like when was the last time we had like a raw raw leader that was like i mean you saw him in that interview on espn during the the summer league game that dude is vocal he's like yelling he's like supporting his guys was it evan turner yeah i don't know i mean carmelo even was like such a smooth operator um and if simons is that person he's he's much more quiet shaden sharp is like super chill scooch just seems like the type of guy that a bunch of players would rally around and i don't blame the blazers front office for falling in love with this dude at at draft workouts because it's very apparent like immediately that he's got he's got that it quality i think yusuf will be a leader like individually like if he's talking to Chris Murray, I think he'd be a really good leader. I just don't know if he's going to be that dude that in the locker room we have to focus up. I don't think that's Yusuf, but I think he does that big brother, puts his big ass arm around a player and talks to him. I've seen that a lot on like the when they're walking back from the timeouts, but I just don't know if he's that dude for, you know, the entire squad, but I think he, he can be a leader to an individual. What about you, Dustin? What do you think? Uh, there's just so many parallels between this upcoming season and Brandon's rookie year. It's it's a little uh, it's a little scary in, in a good way. Like it was er- clear early on, like it was Brandon Roy's team. I, I think it will be Scoot soon enough. I don't know, like day one, if they're gonna if the rest of the vets are gonna be cool with a 19 year old coming in and just being the guy. I think it'll eventually happen and will eventually be him um, because like you have so many parallels. Like you have. I think you have a couple of stat padding forwards who got paid a, a buttload of money, Zach Randolph and Jeremy Grant, but neither I don't think is really vocal or has the that just the charisma to be a natural born leader. Both kind of like do their own thing and kind of fall in line um, with the other, I think, alphas uh, of the squad. You've got some vets there. Uh, that, that team had Prisbilla and Juan Dixon. We still have Nurkic, Matisse Thibel, kind of have like a shy, you know, second year lottery pick, Martel Webster. Shaden Sharp, like I think Shaden is maybe the most talented of the bunch, but I don't know if the intangibles of him being a leader is really in his repertoire um, or will ever be. But as long as he just cooks on the court, you don't need him to be that. That's why drafting Scoot was so um, mindful and I think impactful for this roster to to fill that void. Like every team needs um, a vocal leader. And like Chris Murray kind of gives me like LaMarcus vibes. Like he just seems kind of chill and shy. Like, I don't know if I get leadership vibes from, from him either, even though he's going to be uh, more of a polished rookie coming in. So yeah, I think it'll eventually be scoot. I think it's going to be leadership by committee early on, but I think there was a, a stretch in Roy's rookie year where the team won like five in a row in December he was winning rookie of the month honors and it was like, okay, yeah, he not only does he have the personality for it, but he's backing it up on the court. Once we see those performances from Henderson, then I think everyone's like, okay, like this, this is, this is the deal. And it's not like, like we named everybody that's quote unquote good. It's not like Jabari is going <laughs> to take the reins and be that leader. So it, I, I think it's gotta be one of, I, I think Scoot has to be it. What do the Trailblazers do with Anthony Simons? And if he and if he is kept, what is his role? Like, uh, and I asked this question because it reminds me of of the office, uh, the dinner party episode when Michael and Jan are getting into a fight, and Michael just keeps talking about like the effect of three bisectomies and the snip snap snip snap. And I feel really bad for Anthony Simons because he's like, oh, you're now the future star of the team last year. Oh, we're trying to trade you heavily with this number three pick. 
Oh, nobody wanted you. Dame requested out. So now, now you're back in the fold. So like, I really feel for the guy. He's under contract. Um, what in the hell are the Blazers going to do with him? And Trade it doesn't him. really... De- I... Trade him for Jairus Walker. Oh, that won't happen. Um, I think we... I think we treat him like Zach Levine. I think those two are incredibly similar. You never have him run offense for you. You, you just pull up shoots and it's three. I don't think there's a market for him right now. Like every team that could use a, a an ant got one in the draft. Like Orlando was a big uh, a, a question mark. They got Jet, and he's a lot cheaper and can do a lot of the things Ant can do with his pull up shooting and like. I I just don't think there's a market. Maybe, you know, a team needs a a a, a gunner in uh, at at the deadline. But I I just I think he's gonna be a combo guard that hopefully doesn't be that big of a playmaker for us. Just, yeah. yeah, yeah. I I mean, given that this year's draft isn't like I I mean I, I hope that Portland gets like a top five pick this year, but. If I'm Cronin, I'm focusing all my energy on making Ant, Bible, and Grant like these jet. Like I want, I want Grant to turn into Laurie Markkinen. I want Ant to make the All Star team this year. I want Thibel to be like the two way player that he's never been before. And that means like I want Scoot to be setting Ant up. I want him to be hitting him with like open passes everywhere and looking for him. I think that no matter what, Scoot and Sharp are gonna like they're gonna get tons of minutes. Um, I don't, I, I would love to start sharp already and I want to, I want to see him cook, but I think there's a concern if you are giving sharp, like tons of shots and like lots of extra possessions. So that means I'm like focusing a lot of my energy on making, making Anthony, like testing him, making him get to the line more, like trying to build out some of the parts of his game that he couldn't really develop when, when Dame was here. Um, and if that means like a slight slow play on the on the on Scoot and on Sharp, I'm I'm fine with that for one year because I really want I want Ant's value to go up and and maybe that means him sticking around, but um, ultimately that means that he's not going to be seen by other GMs as this like one dimensional combo guard, which I think is kind of what we learned, right? Like Sage, like Cronin was shopping that dude for a while, oh, yeah. and and all off season we we're trying to drum up like this perfect ant trade and it never really and to orlando exactly so one of their um, picks. yeah i i i think you i think you focus and make make those guys under contract with the big deals make them kind of these shiny jewels because nobody thought Lori marketing was like all that and all of a sudden he's like this shiny object in utah now so tr- try to try to do that if you're cronin so i i actually have a question so who do you think is the like we talked about the leader, but who do you think is going to be the usage leader? Who's going to take the most shots? Who's second? Who's third? Who's fourth? Unless what month, the, the, season, what month of the season are you talking about? Like, I think early, early on, it's probably going to be Simons and it's probably going to be Grant. They're probably going to slowly start to fall in the standings. And I think that's when you're going to finally see them unleash Shaden. And you might see guys. I don't. I. I think they'll be bad enough. You don't have to in- inevitably like tank. Tank. I think they'll just tank just because of the the roster is is what it is. Um, but 
I think it'll be it will be I, I don't think it'll be scoot. I don't think he's gonna be taking the most shots. I think his his role early on will be setting up and, and distributing and picking his spots when when to go. And like I think Ant is perfect for this team in, in if he's utilized correctly. And I will gain a lot of respect for Joe Cronin in that front office if they will make the tough decision, which I think they never did with CJ, which was trade CJ earlier than 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 he was. But with Ant, it's you do one thing really fucking well, and it's score the shit out of the basketball. You don't need to be starting. Come off the bench. You still get your 30 minutes. Take your 15, 16 shots. Win six <laughs> man of the year. That 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 is the way. Like I don't want to see another small backcourt. Like I've seen enough of it. I cannot <laughs> watch Scoot and and Ant. Like if Ant were a plus defender, okay. If Ant were a rebounder, okay. But he doesn't rebound. He doesn't really pass. Like if he Ant go is to not the rim scoring, either. Yeah, if he's not scoring the basketball, he's not. You think you think it kind of you think it is what it is with Ant at this point, basically. Not necessarily, but he needs for to show it to me. But I also think he will be able to do that. Like if he is the lead dog off the bench, like it's been like Mono Ginobili carved that. You know Jamal Crawford, like those guys have Lou Williams. Like they're going to go down in basketball lore because people remember them for doing what they do best. But how old is Ant? Like twenty two, twenty three. 24 i think yeah he's 24 i don't know if i like i don't think he's he's mature enough to think this way though i mean he also he might not be sage but the blazers sacrificed everything to be in this the situation right everyone nearly everyone else would have done whatever they could have done to build around dame which was shop that third pick overpay say shade and sorry, we're going to trade you and Josh Hart for OG last year. Like they sacrificed everything to get this kid from Canada and this generational point guard from Marietta, Georgia. This is your future. You risked it all to have these two guys. So why are you not from the get go, getting them as much time together as possible? You actually have positional size at the one and the two. And we're going to go down this same path again of, Dame CJ, Ant and, <laughs> Ant and Dame, Scoot and Ant. Like the, the small backcourt, it just it just doesn't work. So yeah. like I, I I but I just worry though that coach, it would bro. be yeah. You gotta think Chauncey Billups is probably loyal to Anthony Simons. So he's probably gonna force feed him into that. Or or I worry it would be Ant and Sharp and not and Scoot would be coming off the bench. God, I, I, think don't, you- I, I don't worry. So I I think the most likely scenario is Ant. Scoot in the backcourt with Shaden at the three. And mm-hmm. I don't love Shaden at the three either. Like I just Portland has a chance to get this right. And it's like they've done they 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 they've gone this far. Like continue to go down that that road. And like if Ant doesn't like it, like he's still getting paid. They can say, hey, we're working on a trade for you, but you could also be blunt with him and say, We tried to move you, but nobody wants you. You got to fix these parts of your game. Like if you want out of here, yeah. like show teams that you can defend a little bit. Like you're athletic as hell. You won the dunk contest. Why are you? attempting one one free throw game like there's so much room for ant to grow and i truly believe that because he performed so well when dame was off the floor and i think scoot offers a different like i think ant and shaden and scoot could be a finishing five against certain lineups yeah like utah or something yeah i definitely do and i think scoot's gonna get him a lot of great looks yeah he's he's gonna just because of the rim pressure it's gonna get every shooter 
yeah. a little but bit I more need, open. I need Ant to take that next step and say, okay, they're believing in me. How do I become a better player rather than just a better scorer? Like, he shouldn't be such a negative on defense. Like, with his athleticism, he should be grabbing four, four and a half boards a game. Couldn't, I mean, with Scoot, I imagine him crashing the board like Derek Rose or Rajon Rondo. Couldn't you see the same thing for Ant? Grab and go rebounds. Grab and go. Yeah. Transition Make threes. Pass. Make the simple pass for, for Ant. And that's what Chauncey was saying after, I think it was the, the Atlanta game. I don't know why I remember this, probably because I had a newborn and I was listening to the radio and it was post game. And he was talking about how he's working with Anthony Simons and he just told him, don't overthink it. Make the simple pass. And that's one where I was like, okay, he's never a point guard. He is straight, strictly a, a two combo at best. But grab, go, make the simple pass, and get on the break. You've got some absolute dogs that you can unleash. Like, Shaden on the break is must-see TV. Like, get him, him the ball. You know, Chris Murray like, so trailing? Chris Murray trailing for the three. You've got Jeremy Grant trailing for the three. You know, Scoot's a good decision-maker. Like, Nas, like, we're forgetting about, like, Nas can finish with the best of them, too. So, like, the, everything should be about speed and get, getting it going. Yeah. And um, I think it can work. I just don't want it to be... The Simon show, I, I guess. Like that's. So, do you think we're going to be a fast-paced team for the first time and since Dame was drafted? We're going to we're going to burn up this the un, in transition. And yeah, it, it's all going to be predicated on how many stops they get. Because like, if you're taking the ball out of your basket, you can only go so fast. So they do have to figure out a way to get some defensive stops. Against some opponents, it's going to be a long evening, and I think we're all aware of that that coming in. But um, I do want to get to these next two questions. We are running a, a bit long, as we normally do on Holy Backboard, um, and I want to be uh, cognizant uh, of Sam's time. And the last two questions are related to Joe Cronin. Um, the first one, very subjective. Uh, is he a good, is Joe Cronin a good GM so far with his track record, given what he inherited, where the Blazers are standing right now? Uh, you asked this to 10 different Blazer fans, they're going to probably give you 10 different answers. So I thought it would be good to tee it up to both of you and get your thoughts. Do you think he's a good GM? This is a really hard question to answer. Um, I think he's been used mostly as a one of those consultants that comes in and assists with like an, a merger and an acquisition. If you go through most of the trades he's made, it's really hard to disagree with like most of them like individually they a lot of them make sense the two that i was questionable on at the time look a lot better now the norm roco trade hurt hurt really bad but those were two guys that are now in their 30s and overpaid and undervalued i mean norm powell was like available and nobody wanted him this off roco doesn't even play anymore right right and the gp2 signing like that was probably number one in my book and he was able to get out of that like a few months later so um you could argue that the Nurkic contract individually hurt the team the most just from an opportunity cost perspective. Maybe there's another big, even a scrap heap big could have come in and maybe like changed the identity of the team a little bit. No, I think it was Joe. I don't know if there's any validity to this, but the, the trailblazer message board rumor is Joe and clutch had a back backdoor deal that says you let us shut down your guy. We're going to take care of him in the off season, which led to the first tank. So I think there has to be some validity to that because Nurk got a, a slight raise and he was definitely healthy and playing some of the best basketball. He yeah. Had and honestly, my biggest body. issue with Nurkic is less about Nurkic. It's more that we just didn't have quality help behind him. 
to 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 like actually um to work with him when he when he gets injured and, and isn't available. So I'm actually not opposed to to Cronin. I just I'm excited for him to be in negotiations where he doesn't have all of the leverage against him for once where he's actually on the front foot because he's been backing out of all of the decisions that Olshay made the last couple of years. That's a really, really astute observation that you made um about Cronin and the position that he was put in. He was tasked with getting under the luxury tax. That's why the at the time that trade with the Clippers looked so awful because every other GM knew that he had to get under the tax. And those were the two contracts that that he was really uh, dangling out of there. Another positive for me was unlike Olshay, who would maybe double down on a bad move. Cronin realized, oh, GP2 is not working out. Let's let's get five second round picks. Let's you know remove that contract offer for book. So that gives me some. Uh, hope that he's not just stuck in his ways like he's like oh i had good self-awareness i i made a mistake let's see how we can correct this um i loved the josh hart trade because as good of a rebounder as he was josh hart just decided to stop shooting threes um and it would have been tough to get him to resign in portland because of his east coast highs and he's also going to get this massive extension with the knicks and I just I don't know if Josh Hart is is worth that even in increasing CBA and you get Chris Murray out of it. And so um, what regardless of me wanting Jalen Dern instead of Jeremy Grant, getting a first round pick for, for Jeremy Grant is, is good business. Um, I thought they got off of the CJ contract. Um, yeah, you said you I, I think you nailed it, Sam, like every deal individually has been good. The only concerns I have and this is really um going on secondhand knowledge of all of the the scuttle button rumors that that get reported is like was he really considering trading for og was he really considering trading for paul george or you know pascal siakam like to me it was a no-brainer you do not trade the seventh pick and you do not trade the third pick like you need to replenish your young assets so i would really like i don't think there's a perfect answer because we, we just don't know like i would love to know like was he really close to making those trades? Was it just, you know, people trying to drum up website clicks um, and retweets? Um, because if it was where he wasn't really even close, then that that's awesome. But if, it, if he was close and we just got bailed out because Masai Ujiri is, is, is you know, I mean, it wasn't, it, wasn't it Masai that said no to one of the finals? Yes. Like that, like Sharp yes. is, I mean, that, that's like, we all hate, we all hate Masai because he's like, He's like hard to deal with, but he's he kind of oh, saved. I, I'm the biggest Masai Ujiri. He kind of saved this version of the team. Like this, the Sharp would not be a Blazer if it watching wasn't for the Masai. Blazers without Shaden Sharp last year would have been impossible. Oh my gosh, for, for me. Yeah. Um, I, Sage, what what do you think? I think that he's competent. I also think that he's extremely lucky because Brandon Miller probably should be a Blazer right now. Exactly, yeah. so he got extraordinarily lucky. First of all, getting the third pick, hugely lucky. And then the the Hornets getting the second pick and taking Brandon Miller, who he was seven for me. Yeah. I, think I mean, kind of sucks. To, to, be, so. to be fair, if they would have taken a men Thompson, like I would, I would have been fucking psyched, but I don't think that that would have been the, the, I think we're lucky that we got scoot. So yes. I think that he's competent, but the, he's got a rabbit's foot somewhere. Exactly. But Sage, I to that point, like I was thinking about this on my walk. Every GM, like GM's one of the weird positions in all of professional sports where like the only thing you have control over is like player development, like the draft. You have no control over what uh you move up and down in the lottery. Like you have no control over what 
GMs ahead of you are selecting with trades. You have to find another GM to work with. Like, is Chad Buchanan looked upon as uh, lovingly in Portland if he's not dealing with Billy King, who's like, yeah, we'll take Gerald Wallace for the sixth pick. Like, it it takes it takes two to tango. Like, you can find gems. Like, I think Heat culture is real. The Spurs culture is real. Like, they find all these undrafted guys. They turn water into wine, and you get credit for that. But a lot of it is kind of trying to like one up somebody else and you know same same thing with 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 um with free agency like does another gm do they go all in and do they dry up their cap space and now you're the only you know team with cap space that can get this x free agent so like there's just so many a lot of content and i think I think Hinky's kind of introduced a new version of the the modern gm which is that you don't want to be like how many times did we hear this year like oh this GM doesn't want to trade for this guy because they're too early in their process. Like back in the day, if I if I recall correctly, it was a little bit more like yeah we got a great player like let's move like like a lot of the older transactions from the nineties for Clyde let's go yeah like in the nineties it was like there was like ten players in a trade and now it's like it's more about expiring contracts pick collection swaps it's it's a much more like asset manager type of role um i feel like about the yeah, 90s and you talk about the the 2000 blazers being one of your favorite teams portland traded six pieces of nothing no disrespect to those 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 wonderful human beings but six players with very little value scotty fucking pippen scotty pippen unbelievable trader bob oh. was really he was one of the best like he sold a lot of oregonian papers back in the day because yeah i mean you know. they were just like yeah the mindset has completely changed first round picks are valued so much more phoenix isn't selling picks that would turn into luol deng rayshon frondo or rudy fernandez like p- people hold on to them like gold now um and, the last and, question... and, and sorry really quick dustin like i think the new cba has introduced a new era too of owners not wanting to give up on what they have like chicago toronto both should probably be sellers this summer and they're not um because they they think they're like a um they think they're like the miami heat yeah they think they're the miami heat maybe next year so I think it's it's really tough to get trades done now, and it's a little bit more about like asset management, which is just not not ex- not exciting. All right, last question to round this up, and that is a good point. Being a good GM, you're only as good as your owner is, really. Um, Joe Cronin, do you trust him to lead a multi-year rebuild from scratch? Love him, hurt or hate him, Kevin Pritchard started off with a bang and kind of went out with a little bit of a whimper. Yes, you can put that on Brandon Roy's knees, maybe Greg Oden's knees as well, but he was one who held on to his uh, expiring contracts and his assets for, for dear life. Um, we've seen that um, GMs kind of maybe get pushed ahead in their process a little bit too early. We talked about Phoenix in 2014. Um, Neil did it with the Blazers in 2016, but the Blazers kind of tore it down. They've got great building blocks. Joe Cronin's the GM. What's the what's the temperature level? Are you are you guys feeling good with him leading? Because he's now leading this this um, rebuild from basically he started like he drafted Shade and he drafted Scoot. Like this this is now basically aside from a few guys like roster has his fingerprints all over it. I think that I trust him a lot drafting because he has good people in his ear telling him about. You know, shade and sharp. He didn't play a fucking game 
So of course, like you, you had to look at EYBL footage to say this guy's special. So I trust him with draft picks and hope, hopefully this trade gets us draft picks. So I trust him in that aspect. I don't really know. I feel like he bets against himself on free agency. So I don't particularly believe in him in that aspect, but if we're just talking draft capital, I do trades. I, they are good, but I, I think this Dame one is going to answer a lot of questions. So I believe, at least I believe in his, the, the, the team that he has around him for draft decisions and fuck man. I didn't trust Neil O'Shea at all. So to have some part of your general manager that you trust, it's a very welcome change. So I, I, I at least trust him in draft. What, what about you, Sam? Yeah. Personnel wise, I think he's done a good job. I mean, the Schmitz move was solid. I think he's made good draft picks. Um, the remix is going to be a really fun, awesome, like pipeline component. We'll get to see Baji, um, and John Butler and maybe another guy, um, develop. Yep, that's right. Repair. Um, so, but I really would love to see Jody get up on the podium and like give Cronin a ringing endorsement because I feel like Cronin has just been this little, a little bit of a puppet for ownership the last couple of years, just like getting them out of Olshay's issues and stuff. So, yeah, I'd like Joe to kind of step up and be a little bit more of the face of the franchise and communicate a vision after Dame. Like, what what's the let it bake for? or Joe um, and create kind of a narrative around the team. As I mentioned it before, but like the good GMs create a, a narrative for their fan base to follow. And it gives every, it gives the fans a context with which to enjoy the team. Um, I mean, pr- like OKC fans know exactly how to watch OKC basketball at this point. They know how to evaluate the players. I don't really know. Joe's been kind of getting out of, um, sticky situations from one to the other since he joined i gotta give him credit for the grant uh signing because that was like a three-part trade like getting out of cj and getting into grant um it allowed us as a small market not to to get rid of the asset completely um and that that's a that was a two year and a half two year like situation with cj so and that was a terrible contract um so yeah, I, I think I would give him a couple more years. I do think, though, to Sage's point, that like the Dame trade, if he gets a bat, if he gets a terrible, if he gets fleeced by Riley, I don't know if he can enter into a good faith negotiation again with another GM. Like, I think it's that simple, um, which is really tricky um, to say about one one GM and one trade. But um, yeah, overall, I think he's been he's been okay. I, I'd give him a couple more years. Yeah, for me, I, I kind of want to greet him after the Dame trade because I'm already setting myself up because like I, I, it's like it's my it feels like it's Miami or bust, like just how the landscape of the rest of the league is shaping. And you're th- that package is never going to be good enough. You're never going to get that Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert return. Um, I want to see how he does after that. How does he manage Matisse Thibel? Like you said, how does he manage Anthony? How does he manage Jeremy Grant? Can he turn those values upside down? Can you start to generate assets? Can you start to see the progression? Like, right, we talk about those Roy, Roy Blazers. They win like 32 wins, then 41, then 54. Three years, they were home court advantage, right? They, they had a direct path, and you could see that. I am I also just want to see him operate after Dame because, like, you could tell they wanted to rebuild. 
Like the actions always spoke louder than words to me. Like the reason they didn't sign another center behind Yusuf Nurkic is because they knew they wanted to suck. Um, the reason they traded Josh Hart for a first round pick is because they 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 knew they wanted to build that that asset back up. And but they also had this Damian Lillard sized piece of marketing that they still had to package to the fans. And so like when fans are like feeling like they were lied to, I was like, you know, you can't always believe what what the team's trying to sell you. They're trying to sell tickets first, first and foremost. But I think it will be more of a genuine and honest message once this has all been been settled because anyone I think who really looked at it clearly saw the two sides Dame and the Blazers kind of coming to a hedge just like okay the, this really needs to be um, different directions here and so now that hopefully once the dust settles we can come back and we can say okay this this is the plan Scoot's the guy we also love Shaden and here's how we're going to roll and you know, we got the remix we're really excited and I want to see how he operates that. Like, can he find that third star? Can he build out the roster? Like, to me, the hard part is really done. You have your alpha point guard, the floor general of, of amongst floor generals. You have a superstar in the making wing in in Shaden Sharp, who compliments Scoot so well. You've got the back. You've got basically Drexler Porter 2.0 in a modern NBA game. Now all you have to do is you got to find a third star and you got to build out the roster that complements one another. You got to find these pieces. Can he do those those little details, right? Like he I think he I think he's bright sage. I think he lucked into the hard part. He really like I, I maybe my expectations are high, but because I feel so highly about Scoot and Shaden like don't fuck this up. Like I feel pretty good about him, but also there there's not much room for for error in in my eyes just because of how well they're set up especially if you're able to get off dame's contract you get a ton of picks so you have some flexibility to identify some players who might be those perfect puzzle pieces um and you should be able to finally have that capital uh to go out and acquire it but i'm very confident in their player development in their player um scouting department they brought in just a ton of people um i think they're going in the right direction so maybe it's just being optimistic maybe it's just love watching a fun team grow but um i just thought it was funny there's a lot of people especially credentialed media that have to show up at the locker room every day that were like you don't know how hard this next year is going to be and i was like are you kidding this is going to be the fun part like Mm -hmm. the expectations are going to be very reasonable and we're we're just going in it to watch some really fun players develop. Like that's the best fun. part. That's the best part. The vibes in OKC and some of these other developing teams that have sucked the last couple of years. I mean the the Twitter the Twitter audio are all over those teams. So I, I think it's going to be nice to have the air pressure like dialed back a little bit and just watch some like watch some fun basketball. So for exactly. sure. All right. Uh, Thank you for joining us, Sam. Really appreciate your time on this Thursday evening. Um, Let our listeners know if uh, where they can find your material and then Sage, bring this one on home. Yeah. So um, I'm Rip Village on Twitter. I started a a kind of like trailblazer snack, uh, which is like a 10 minute kind of take. Um, And I try to publish them as much as possible. Try to be a little silent during this heat negotiation uh but yeah those are posting every couple of days um and that's at rip village on twitter and and the uh the podcast is called lickety brindle up the podcast shouts to shots all right we are available on itunes stitcher 
Himalaya podcast, wherever you get your podcast. We also are on Instagram Reels, Facebook Reels, TikTok, all of the uh, all of the apps. So thank you so much for listening, and we're out of here. Peace. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go!